0: It's Illum Group's Andrea Lay. Views Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Shree, And I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom. And I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. i be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CBG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th. And it's time for the fresh four, four curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. we brought to you through our partnership with RetailWit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news. RetailWit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Sri. In
1: case you're wondering what this background is I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media, as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization of their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding off This is set by Sara Marzano, principal analyst and e-marketer, who advertises the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that will hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello,
2: Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect an in-store retail media network powered by quad graphics. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners. Throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all of the SaveMart companies' approximately 200 stores. This is SaveMart's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own
0: retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats partnership for alcohol delivery eight states. Nearly a 1,000 right age stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience that complements their busy lives on said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh For Now. On to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded.
2: Shree, I'm really excited about the return of in-person events, including the most important one in our industry. Of course, I'm talking about Grocery Shop, which is coming up
1: September 19th to the 22nd in Las Vegas. You bet, Peter. It's a great CPG grocery event. Just hit a 100 speakers, executives from some of the most iconic retailers and brands, Kroger, Procter & Gamble, Walmart, Albertsons, PepsiCo, and a whole bunch of others, Peter. Yeah. And what I like is there'll be
2: tons of networking opportunities on site as well. Should be a great time. I'm going to be there as well as our fresh four partners. So come on and hang out with us.
1: That's awesome, Peter. I hope you'll make the most of it. But, you know, for those who want to learn more about the event, you can find it on Grocery Shop's website, and that's easy, www.groceryshop.com. Again, www.groceryshop.com as it's spelled. Also, I hear their ticket prices are going up
2: at the end of this coming week, so if you're interested, it's good to get in now. Grocery Shop, man,
1: an event to be at.
2: Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys Podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CPG Guys Podcast. I'm PVSB, AKA the Loyalty CPG Guy. My subject matter expertise revolves around brand loyalty, CRM, retail, customer data, and insights. And my co-host, well, he's the growth-oriented CPG guy. He's an expert at branding, direct-to-consumer, unified commerce, retail media, and marketplaces. Join me in welcoming the man known by one name, but who wears many hats.
1: He's Sri. Sri, how are you today? Doing awesome. How kind of of you. You call me the growth guy. I'm honored. You are the growth guy, man. Making me blush publicly.
2: Um, You know what? We're trying to find love in our relationship, Free. No more of this back and forth East Coast, West Coast tea party battle that we've had going on.
1: All right. So that means I have to reciprocate that love back to you. So we'll have to figure out a way.
2: You, know, you can do a hip hop song a little later because you are the master of hip hop. In addition to being,
1: don't tempt me, don't tempt me.
2: I know, I know, I know. Uh, before we get to our guest today, uh, thank you, by the way, Shri. Um, I want to remind our audience that all of our content, including our profitability series, the women's leadership series we did last October, where we raised like what eight thousand dollars for Susan G. Komen, that was awesome. Our our Founder series from earlier this year. Um, it was it was awesome. All that you can get it by just going to cpgguys.com. And and guess what, Shri? It's all free. Did you know that? I mean, we're giving this away. What's up with us? I, I don't know. It's a little crazy. But in any event, the best way also to keep up with everything we're doing and all the content we're publishing is just go to LinkedIn and search for the CPG guys. Go into the search bar, do it, and when you get to our page in the upper left-hand corner, just click the follow button, and you will then be privy to all of the new episodes we publish there, some of the things we celebrate, in- interesting information and articles. It's all there, and again, it's all free, so please do that uh, and follow us on on LinkedIn. We already have over 6,000 people who have who have decided to follow us in the last year, and that's all... Organically sourced. So I think that means they kind of like what we're doing, Shri. Maybe not, but I think they do in any event. Um, so let's get to why we're here today. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you know that back in May, I made a change in my other day job. Uh, and I joined Fetch Rewards. Now you may remember last year that we had on our show uh, a fellow named Pat Burke, who's the chief revenue officer. Uh, and he joined us for an episode. And I was so intrigued by Fetch's business model that when Pat came to me with an opportunity to join the Fetch team, I I literally jumped at the chance. I'm thinking of that dog leaping. I'm like, yeah, I jumped at that. In any event, um, Fetch has a very interesting origin story. And you may be aware that earlier this year, very recently, they there was some announcement that they closed uh, a series D financing. It was led by SoftBank, which is the largest venture capital firm in the world. Um, it's reported to be in excess of $200 million. Uh, Sheree and I thought it would be good to dig into the, again, a dog reference, dig into this fascinating story. Um, I know it's an inside, it's, it's, it's an inside joke, but we love it in any event. Um, so who better to tell the origin story than the co-founder and CEO of Fetch Rewards himself? Uh, and he's coming up to us from Boston, where he and his fiance just relocated from Wisconsin. Uh, so please join Sri and me in welcoming to the podcast, Wes Schroll. Wes, how are you doing?
3: Oh, doing great. Right before a long weekend that we're filming this and thrilled to be here. So thanks for having me, guys.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Thanks. And sh- uh... Hold on, Peter. This episode will be incomplete without me asking Wes, where's the housewarming party and when? Our guests would love to come by.
3: <laughs> Coming up, best time in Boston is during the fall when everyone is uh, getting ready for Halloween. So I think we're going to time it up with that because we've got to figure out how to bring our house to the New England, <laughs> lean into Halloween. So probably a good time to do it then.
2: Funny. I thought the best time in Boston is when they when the the Sox sweep the Yankees, but maybe maybe I'm thinking of a different time. Sorry. See, Shree, I couldn't I couldn't keep it together. I couldn't stay on the nice side. I just
1: he, he started decently. He says I'm a decent guy. He says no more East Coast West Coast wars, and then he's referring to the Yankees. And now I'm sitting here in LA. I'm going to have to had this conversation about the Dodgers and how he started this whole year with they're going to win the World Series lead. And what position are you guys in exactly in the league?
2: We're half a game back in the NL West, baby. Oh, we are.
1: Half a game back. Have you heard? Do you know what the definition of the word back means?
2: Anyhow, what I know is right now, if we ended the season, we're going to the playoffs because we, we've got the wild card. See, this is what it's like, Wes. We we bicker like an old married couple in any event. All right. So um, we're going to put in the liner notes of the podcast a link to FetchRewards.com and obviously Wes's profile. Before we get into the questions, um, Wes, can you just give us a very brief overview at 30,000 feet of what what Fetch Rewards is?
3: Yeah, so Fetch Rewards is a completely free mobile application for anyone across the U.S. right now to be able to use. And all you have to do to participate in it is take pictures or connect your email or Amazon account, and we'll pull in all transactions. So anytime you have a receipt, uh, go ahead and enter it in. We will reward you every time you do that. And then we are partnered with hundreds of brands that will actually reward you with even more Fetch Points every time you buy them from anywhere across the country. You can turn around and use those points on hundreds of different things, think gift cards to enter into sweepstakes for one-of-a-kind prizes, or you can even donate them to charity. Really, whatever you want, you can use them for, and we will store all of those receipts for you. So you have a digital copy. You can feel good throwing away that receipt that is otherwise probably sitting in your wallet or some uh, cabinet at home, and you can feel like you actually got something for, for it as well. So at the highest level, that's what we do.
2: That is a great synopsis. Thank you. So let's launch into the questions that Sheree and I put together. Uh, They kind of build upon what you've just talked about. So as a young man growing up in the Boston area, logically, you decided that you would head to the American heartland for college and ended up matriculating at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Go Badgers. Go Badgers. Big Ten, they have a problem with that math. But anyhow, um, I'm not going to ask you to explain why the Big Ten is no longer descriptive of the actual number of member institutions. Um, I don't think they count that well. Maybe math is not the core curriculum in Big Ten. But but in any event, just a joke, Big Ten fans. I know I have a lot of Ohio State fans listening to this podcast. I'm just busting on you. Um, Can you take the story from here and tell us how the idea that uh, transformed into Fetch actually came to be?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So while I was going to school as a Badger, in between my freshman and sophomore year, I had been living in a dormitory my freshman year, being fed every meal directly from the, the cafeteria and really just doing all my shopping at the local bookstore. Very insulated experience. And during my sophomore year, I moved into the primarily sophomore slums, as they would call it, into an apartment by myself. Uh, And for the first time ever, I was actually having to go grocery shopping. I was doing all the shopping for the first time ever. Um, And as I was going through that experience, I always thought it was strange that no matter whether it was a brand that I was buying or a retailer that I was going to, even the flights that I was taking home back to Massachusetts... Every single group was telling me how much they valued me as a customer. And in return, here were all the hoops I could jump through in order to get rewarded for my loyalty to them. And that just felt very backwards. Um, Call call me selfish. I figured, why isn't there a solution that is fun and easy for for me to use and that brands and retailers will come and reward me on and have a centralized place to be able to do that? So being a probably overly ambitious 19 year old, I decided to drop out of college after my sophomore year and try to go tackle a $2 trillion a year industry, uh, not knowing what could possibly go wrong.
1: You know, I'm thinking Wisconsin, I'm thinking of Ron Dane. Were you all in the same graduating class by any chance of us?
3: No, it wasn't in his class.
1: (laughs) Ron Dane. I'm just kidding, Wes. So, yeah. So you drop out of college. You welcome, by the way, to the $3 trillion industry. The $3 trillion industry is not an easy one to navigate because I learned in an earlier conversation today, it's that the the development of this industry has really sped up in the last 46 years, to be precise. And we'll refer to why as we ask you the questions as we go through this interview, but you know, you get this business model that proves to be successful at winning some academic competitions, generating some seed money, and then you have a PowerPoint deck you created with your own personal experience, which prompted you to get this idea going, and Excel spreadsheets. How do you take all of this, tackle the $3 trillion industry, and make it a business model that actually makes some sense? And uh, I can't imagine being in college trying to do it. Even those two years could have been easy. So how did you bring all this together so you can be happy in life too?
3: Yeah, I think my sophomore year was probably the most filled my schedule has ever been as I was trying to still do my full-time classes and at the same time trying to create that PowerPoint, create the Excel, learn about an industry and how it functions. Because while from a consumer's perspective, it may seem easy enough, you walk into a store and there's products on the shelf, the long journey that they take from being made all the way to those shelves and all the steps that they take in between uh, would shock most people. And the during my sophomore year, I was really just focused on just starting to peel back the onion, just trying to learn and wrap my arms around all the different constituents that play in that life cycle between a product being developed all the way to me actually getting the chance to consume it. And Throughout that, I started to put together this, this presentation that, that was audacious to put the consumer right at the center and say, okay, let's think about this selfishly of how do we create the best customer experience and then convince different com- uh, parties along the way to then participate. The, the the two things that we knew we were going to have to solve right away were you need enough households and enough eyeballs for it to be worthwhile for anyone to want to participate I think that's yeah ground uh, or, or I Those are the basic stakes that almost any company is going to face. But the second piece that we really needed to understand was as much data as we could on those actual consumers, because it's one thing to have all the eyeballs, but it's another thing to actually be able to understand who they are, what they like to purchase everywhere across the way. That confirmation of purchase is what will also give you the ability to then reward them with monetary value for taking certain behaviors and confirming they took those behaviors. So I distilled it all down to a simple PowerPoint uh, that, that kind of had that consumer at the simple, at the center, had their phone, uh, and then a poof magic bubble that then connected them over for their purchases. That poof magic was confirming the purchase. That was very difficult to do. But even with just that being the case, I started entering the, into these different business plan competitions across the country, as you mentioned, Shree. And we started to go up against companies that were being run by graduate students that had revenue, had consumers, and all we had was a PowerPoint. And yet we still came out winning the vast majority of these programs. And as a 19-year-old, we won $180,000 in cash. We got office space. We had free lawyers. All because the idea was so simple and so powerful that the judges could just sit there and say, I get that. Yes, I don't like having to pull out their keychain, all of the different loyalty cards on them. It was just such a simple concept that almost anyone could get it. And the idea that you could utilize the power of this supercomputer that everyone had in their pocket to get that data was something that was the big unlock for us. So we, we got enough to be able to convince the business case, hire our first team the summer after my sophomore year. And Then we just started to get out there and tackle the problem. That poof magic, we just started to work on technology and say, okay, what are the different ways you could solve this? What if we partnered with the retailers and actually integrated into the point-of-sale system? We actually did that. We did that for a couple of years. Uh, The problem was there's so many different point-of-sale systems out there. They're immensely complex. They're ever-changing, and Sometimes retailers can move slow when it talk, when you talk about the core technology that all the dollars of their business flow through. So rightfully so, they move slow. So it was taking too long, but it was giving us you know great learnings because we were in those stores. We were working directly with customers with very early iterations of this technology. And we could see the massive unlocks that would happen when you had access to that purchasing data because you could work with these, um, these great brands who would want to deliver their message to the consumer. And influence that final purchase, because it just doesn't exist in the physical world. So we just kept working on it. And you know, eventually, four, four, a little over four and a half years ago, we stumbled onto building a technology that could read receipts in real time and pull off all the necessary information that you would need so that a consumer just takes one simple action after they're done shopping we would pull in that information and then be able to truly arbitrage what items they bought, what brands they would care about, and run the entire system. So that was a bit of that journey from the original all the way to the first launch.
1: Do you see, Peter, I've always told you this magic in PowerPoint and look at Wes's old story. He said, PowerPoint, poof, and here we are.
2: I that. Maybe I used Harvard Graphics, and that's probably why I didn't come up with something like this Sri. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's. It could be. Net...
1: My tools, Peter, were Lotus, DBASE, and WordStar.
2: Okay, there you
1: go. Now Wes is going to have to Google what Lotus, DBASE, and WordStar
0: are.
2: Uh, what? What is that? I know. Uh, we're showing our our, our extreme age, Shri. In any event, so
1: so Wes fetch rewards. How dare you, Peter? It's called experience, not age.
2: So Wes Fetch's model is predicated upon, as you said, rewarding consumers for buying brands they love. Um, the next order of business after you built the platform and this capability to scan and capture transactions and and decipher them. The next order of business is going to be to actually find brands who want to help fund the customer loyalty journey. So would love to know how you went about landing that first big brand client who proved to be the, you know, the, the, the unlock that helped fetch grow. And what were some of the kind of the key differentiators between the way the industry had been dealing with this previously, notably around like digital coupons or, or rebate programs or even more, even more analog systems like FSIs. Like how did, how did Fetch's user experience involve substantially less friction?
3: So I think the, the the first reason that we stumbled onto solving a different problem than I think what traditional coupons were solving was that we were just coming at it very selfishly. We we as a consumer base, like me as a, a literal user of the application, didn't want to have to go through and watch videos or take surveys or unlock certain offers. And then have to plan out which specific retailer I was going to go to to do all of those things, um, which for me, when I was out there using other solutions, looking at the weekly you know newspaper that was coming out, it was just a lot of work. Um, and the thought process that we had was, well, what if we thought about ROI? in a different way. And what if we talked about brand with our brands ROI in a different way, where we extended the horizon that we were thinking about the impact we were going to create through this technology. And instead of just looking at, well, what impact could you drive for me this week and were we able to cro- create a bump in the sales this week, not caring about what happens afterwards, we got these initial brands to think about a longer time horizon of, well, if we could start to build this relationship with a consumer, maybe they don't shift their purchasing right away. But over the course of weeks or months or even you know years, we would be able to shift and quantify the lifetime value of a consumer, and then invest accordingly in a way that we were really confident was driving a sustainable ROI. So, a couple things were different in the model that we approached. We approached it with a category exclusive uh, nature to it right when we launched. So, when we were out with Unilever or with Molson Cores as two of our earliest partners, one of the things that got them really excited was being on the bleeding edge of something that they were going to be able to uniquely offer to their consumers that their competitors wouldn't be able to. And it unlocked their thinking to think longer term because. It'd normally be hard to help us scale a business that Molson Coors is promoting one week and then Anheuser-Busch is the very next week to the same customers, eroding all the work that they just did. Of course, they don't want to help that grow. But when we shifted that perspective and said, hey, exclusivity is okay, they started to lean in. And from a user perspective, we thought if we got enough brands on board and covered enough categories we could almost guarantee that we were always going to be rewarding an an average household for some of the brands that they buy. And then over time, we could introduce them to other brands in categories that we saw that they were buying that they could switch to that would earn them incrementally more points. So we approached it as a coalition, something that was bigger than any one CPG out there so that we could deliver an experience that was actually going to be sticky for the consumer and get them to want to participate and submit enough transactions so that we could truly understand who that household was and measure that shift over time.
1: Love it, Wes. Love it. So, you know, clearly you're evolving and you're building up this business model as you're learning from the industry as well as partnering with the industry. And that spirit, what a question I'd love to kind of jump into you and um, ask you in this particular space is, Tell me a little bit about what are the sort of challenges brands are coming to you with now, or let's say your partners in that in this case, and what are areas they're telling you with this modern consumer, which is now close to 100% omni-channel, uh, really what are the challenges for brands? And then with those challenges, why fetch versus somebody else?
3: Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest challenges that we hear from the brands that we work with is, as you just said, a consumer is multifaceted in the channels that they're going to shop at. And therefore, brands need to think at a higher level beyond that, but they've never had the data to be able to do that, to understand that the West shopping at Costco and the West shopping at Walgreens and the West shopping on Amazon are actually all the same Wes's. and that you can actually treat me as a more holistic consumer They've never had access to that level of data. And even if they did have access to that level of data, the second piece that you need is a channel of communication where consumers actually opted into wanting to get those communications from a consumer. So that's what we think we were uniquely positioned to come in and do with our technology that made it so easy to submit those transactions with the promise to the consumer of, hey, you'll get rewarded every time you are sharing this data and you will get incrementally more. The more receipts you submit, the more offers we can find for you because we can connect you with more brands. All of a sudden, they see that the more I use this, the more value I'm going to get for our brands they see okay there's a channel where a consumer has opted in raising their hand saying I want relevant communications to come to me and we have enough data to actually understand that Wes is the type of consumer that needs you know a dollar off versus Peter is the type of consumer who needs 2 dollars off for this and we can communicate both those offers directly to those Those two individuals getting the resultant behavior with the consumer feeling great about it, but also the brands now knowing that they're deploying their resources much more efficiently. And then the data actually starts to come out afterwards. So in the traditional brand methodology, because most of the sales still take place in the physical world, the way that they have to think about marketing is still going after segments. So I believe that my my new product of this new shampoo that I'm rolling out is going to really target you know females age 32 to 36, and then they'll go and buy media off of that one assumption that that's going to be who who goes and buys it. That that's a very inefficient method versus being able to look at people's actual trans, transactions and see. No, for color strengthening shampoo. Well, yes, that is one of the demographics. There's actually also an up and coming one of age 20, 28 for through thirty males who are using it for some reason. Right, like you you just don't know. What this allows you to do is take out the having to guess using more imprecise methodologies like demographics and instead change that out for true behavioral data and then be able to target those consumers and roll it out just like you would on a Facebook, where, you, where on Facebook, you're often just saying retarget lookalike markets that this commercial played really well for. And then it takes the system takes over using its data and, and starting to spread that message. That's super efficient. You can't do that for the vast majority of where these brand sales are taking. So I think that was the, the a lot of the big problem that we're hearing from all of our brands and that we're helping them to solve. We can quantify the LTV of all those consumers. We can connect them with the right ones in an environment that is an opted-in, data-rich environment. So therefore, they can feel really comfortable on, hey, when I invest X, I get Y. Um, and it's agnostic across the different channels um, so that they can actually then really be able to measure that and potentially even lean in with certain retail partners to amplify it further.
2: Wes, your comment on the obsolescence of demographics to target offers is spot on. I mean, when I think about income, income is an indicator of a capacity to buy, not a propensity to buy. Uh, And when you understand that and you have big data to do it, uh, you can deliver much more relevant offers to exactly the right people. So, this pandemic-driven explosion in in unified commerce, brands are increasingly ravenous when it comes to 1P data because they're, if they don't have their own direct-to-consumer platforms, right, they're going to rely on pure play and omni-channel retails to sell their products. And that means that 1P insights uh, for attribution are more often than not, they're just not forthcoming, right? So... How does Fetch help brands satisfy their need for purchase attribution data points to fuel CRM, digital marketing, and innovation?
3: I think so many of the brands are thinking in the exact right space that one P data is really important. And there's a lot of great investments being made to build out their, you know, email databases or things like that to, to really, you know, achieve the scale that they want to get to. I think, though, very quickly, they're going to come to find that just having that email address is completely different than actually having a communication channel that someone is opening and engaging with uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, So many of our partners we've talked with, that they've done these really creative campaigns. They've collected 10 million email addresses, and over the course of the the last six months, if they send out an email today, 100,000 people open it. And that's just, it's fundamentally tough, those, the, the, the funnel that, that is created, and that's completely natural to, to exist. So instead, what we focused on doing is, while we have email, and that's a component of our relationship to our consumer, we've created a user behavior that, cr- that creates almost daily engagement through a mobile app that they are, again, opting in and choosing to go into every day. Our average user is submitting over 25 receipts per month, which is almost one a day. And that gives us so many different touch points to actually communicate for, on behalf of all our different brand partners, the messaging that they want to get and amplify campaign that they may do nationally or through their own direct email campaigns, amplify it to a much larger audience. Beyond that, when our brands are partnered with us, the consumer is opting into an amazingly transparent relationship of every brand that comes on board and is giving them points. In return, they're going to get the right to have access to that first party data and message to you versus the, the likes of, you know, Facebook or some of those other ones where the whole value to a consumer is something that's really hard to quantify, which is the value of a social network. And they're saying, well, because, of course, we give you the value of a social network, then, yes, of course, we're going to monetize your data and give brands access to it. For us, it's even more transparent than that. If a consumer was to ever say, hey, what do I get in return for Unilever now getting access to communicate to me? we can look at the exact dollars and cents that they've earned through this ongoing point earning relationship. And we almost never get that question because of that transparent approach. It's a true opt-in throughout all the different channels. And therefore, they actually welcome the engagement with all of our brand partners. Um, And we can make sure too, like Huggies, who's an amazing partner of ours. And while I love them, might not make sense to go to one of our brand new customers who clearly doesn't have a baby doesn't make sense to, to have that instead we can direct huggies over to the people we know have babies and are therefore this me- message is very relevant and those those consumers welcome it because they know they're going to get rewarded for that relationship
1: so wes i want to uh continue to talk about your evolution of your business model i mean clearly brand loyalty was what your anchor was right up front at least from a value proposition for brands But I've heard recently that there may be a partnership with the Albertsons companies. And that partnership is supposed to be different from just basic brand loyalty and the growth of brand loyalty. So could you actually decompose what that partnership with Albertsons is from a retail perspective? And whether this actually, you know, not whether, how is this changing the value proposition for brands? Like what's new in the mix now, at least for Albertsons?
3: So I think there's two, um, we actually need to take two steps back in order to adequately answer that question. The first one is just to talk about what is Fetch's vision. At the end of the day, our vision is that we believe consumers should get rewarded with real value anytime a brand or, and brand can mean retailer in this case of what I'm saying, anytime someone is creating value off that consumer, that consumer should be rewarded for that transaction um and that could be a transaction of money a transaction of time whatever the case is now we started by working directly with cpgs because those are really high velocity turn products that are ubiquitously found across numerous retailers so it makes it really easy to start conditioning that user behavior of scan all of your receipts but our product roadmap is really based upon if you think about a physical receipt there's three major components to it the middle part of that receipt where all the items are listed out That's what you buy. That's where the brands are found, right? So that's where we started, which is rewarding a consumer for what they buy. And our brands in return see the value off of that and then therefore issue value to our consumers for that. Now, the top part of the receipt though, is where a consumer consumer chooses to buy those items and that's where the partnership with Safeway Albertsons came into play we were able to look at having millions of households within their trading radiuses that they were just getting a small fraction of the the share of wallet of those consumers so what we did with Safeway Albertsons is help them to target different consumer bases. Maybe it's lapsed consumers, c- customers who haven't shopped at a Safeway Albertsons store within the last three months. Maybe it's people who have never shopped there in the last year. Or maybe it's even their most loyal shoppers that, again, are only spending maybe 40% of their, even though really loyal shoppers, still are only spending 40% of their wallet share at Safeway Albertsons and are still doing things online or at other uh, other verticals. So we helped them to create this campaign that was able to target each of those different segments with specific value that says, hey, if we know you're going to spend $250 this week, if you give us a hundred of it, we'll give you an extra 10,000 points on top of all the value that the brands are already delivering you. So it's a multiplication factor where our brands will reward you for that transaction and the retailers now rewarding it to you. And the final piece that we're actually going into is the bottom of the receipt, which is how you pay for it. We're actually launching our own cards that will allow you on that, again, that single transaction, get rewarded from our brands for what you bought, get rewarded for the from the retailer on where you bought where you bought from, and got got rewarded for how you paid for it. So we think that's the holy trinity where you can unlock being rewarded on a single transaction from all participating parties who are all generating incremental value out of it. And now the consumer is getting rewarded at a level never before seen.
2: Brilliant, Wes. That is uh, a terrific description, the Holy Trinity of Loyalty. I think we're going to have to build a religion around this, Um, come up with a name there. But in any event.
3: The name's Fetch. Peter, you should know that.
2: (laughs) um, So. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, wow. What a great name. Exactly. The Fetch religion. I like it. Uh, So let's let's take it one step beyond that. Fetch found that people were not only scanning register receipts from grocery stores and mass merchants and drug stores, convenience stores. They also started scanning register receipts from restaurants that they were eating at. Uh, and as a result, Fetch decided to move into this vertical, helping what are called quick service restaurants in particular with loyalty engagement. You know, um, how, how is that evolving?
3: So I often get asked, do you ever talk with your customers and ask them about what else they want to get rewarded for doing? And my response to that is always, they're actually already telling me because they are leading us forward by, for example, deciding on their own that, hey, I want to just start submitting all of my restaurant receipts. If you started asking a consumer, well, why are you doing that? We're not, uh, we're not partnered with them. Why are you doing that? Well, because we hope you one day will be, is the, is the clear response that we get. So we decide loud and clear message and what we started to do is actually listen to that and then amplify it start to encourage people to do that and all of a sudden we went from receiving you know millions of receipts that were kind of here and there to receiving hundreds of millions of receipts that are coming in from these QSRs even apparel electronics they basically are raising their hand saying hey anytime i make a transaction I would love in the future that you figure out a way of partnering with companies and reward me for it. So all of a sudden, we have these millions of households across the U.S. that we're starting to, just like we did on the CPG and retail side, understand their purchase behavior, understand their taste profile, whether they like burgers, whether they're buying breakfast, whether they're buying uh, you know, Mexican on certain days of the week, too. And all of a sudden, that type of information to a skew level, knowing the exact item that they're buying at those restaurants, is all now appended back to that household, which one, our CPG partners love using because often people are picking up taste profiles at restaurants and then those start to percolate over into their grocery purchases and we can get ahead of that cycle before it even emerges. But then also we figured out, wait, we can go out there and partner with these, these restaurants and help them win their unfair share of stomach amongst a very competitive set of somewhat interchangeable type of uh, purchases. So we've gone out there, partnered with Jersey Mike's and KFC and Panera a- in terms of being able to help amplify their message beyond the communication channels that they have because they're all really good at communicating with their consumers when they're either already in the store or thinking about going to that that QSR. What Fetch can do is we can help the consumer start to think about that that uh, QFC or QSR um, QSR partner of ours, even when they were about to go to a competitor's or order on Uber Eats or DoorDash. And we can intercept that and get let them know, hey, but actually, if you come over here, this is what will give you a even more rewarding experience. And just like what we found in the CPG, it's super effective Because consumers feel so valued when they're getting rewarded for those decisions that they're making that they're more than happy to actually go and change when they're feeling like they're actually being heard and that they have the loyalty of those retailers and those restaurants is actually being proven to them.
1: You know, I feel like I've asked you all the questions on transformation today and the changing dynamics of both Fetch and the industry. So I got one more for you, Wes. And that is... With the transformative nature of CPG and retail, the uh, the dynamics, the last few years, what took place over the pandemic, what you feel will happen, go forward from here with the, that ongoing transformation. How do you think consumer loyalty engagement is going to actually change? Are brands going to lean in a lot more? Is the industry going to understand that your close relationship with the consumer is how innovation can be born? And, you know, I'm just trying to get a peek under the tent into your brain, how you're thinking about this. And then, likewise, how are you positioning fetch to be part of that journey?
3: So I think one of the things that happened during the pandemic is it broke routine. And a household had a routine of certain retailers it was going to certain brands that they were buying. And all of a sudden, when all that got thrown up in the air, and sometimes consumers could not even leave their house to go and shop. They entered into the world of online, where now they have uh, choices that are 100x larger than they had ever had when they were still within their routine. On the retail side, they had more choices to get delivered from without having to think about driving across town. Restaurants, they had more choices to because everyone started to deliver. They all had their menus online and optimized. But even on the brand side, they had more choices. Where they walked into the store and maybe their favorite brand was sold out that week and instead they tried a new one. So all of a sudden you have this massive disruption that I think will continue to carry forward where consumers now realize there is a lot more choice out there. They're they're more willing to try different things. And I think what they also leaned into were brands that are willing to prove their loyalty to them as a consumer are the ones that they will give undying loyalty moving forward to. I think we saw that the brands that stepped up and did right by their consumers are all of a sudden the ones who are taking off, who, who put short-term profits aside and thought about the longer term, like what do they stand for? What is this, you know, what what is that relationship to the consumer means? And how do they prove that their brand stands that to each of those consumers? I think that will all of a sudden become demanded by consumers. And they have a platform to be able to have their voice heard. I mean, we did a test where we actually looked. At um, consumers, we, there was a certain brand we wanted to get onto our platform. So we went into our database and we saw, okay, here's a million people who bought from that category and from that brand within the last week. And we said, hey, go tweet at them and tell them that you want to earn fetch points every time they buy one of your product. And that brand, we completely swamped their page over the weekend. We got them more mentions. We had them trending on Twitter than they had gotten in an entire year. And what that is, is that's power of the people. That is their ability to voice what they want. And through a channel like Fetch, you can just amplify it and direct it. So to your question of will innovation continue to be you know, driven from this new relationship? Absolutely. I think if, the, if we have brands and retailers that are willing to listen and engage with consumers on the level that they want to be. In return, those consumers will be the loudest megaphones you've ever seen before. That will amplify those winners to a level that they've just never been be- been at before. So, I think you'll see massive sh- uh, shifts in terms of penetration and long-term relationship with these consumers as these type of um, you know these dynamics intercept and amplify each other, like waves that are all of a sudden uh, lining up and the the peaks are much higher. That's what's happening right now. That you're you're finally starting to see. The digital power that before in industry, only like 2-3% of their sales were happening online. And even now, even post-pandemic, it's still under 10% from the majority of food brands. But all of a sudden, the other 90% is being digitized through things like Fetch. And, and the consumers now all of a sudden have this digitized, have these megaphones that they can amplify. If brands lean into that, if retailers lean into that, which is where we do think Fetch is playing, we think there will be clear winners and losers that are made out of that. And it will happen fast, faster than it's ever happened before. Because if you look at other verticals like Uber or anything, once it starts to go, that's it, it will happen really quick. And you'll look back and say, I can't believe it ever used to be done that way. And I think, again, that that's the power change of having concepts of LTV, having the data to, to, to actually quantify it and having channels where consumers have opted in asking for those communications and that value exchange. Um, it will just, those will be the highways that will speed up change within this industry. And I think it's going to be a super exciting time. We're, th- we're thrilled at the time that we're, we're in the space. And, you know, I think our, a lot of our partners are opening their eyes and excited to lean into it as well.
2: To our audience, uh, want to remind you that if you go to cpgguys.com, you're going to find a lot of great links there you can find our linkedin page you can find us on twitter and on instagram you can find shri and me on linkedin uh, and you can even find a list of the podcasts that shri and i listen to when we're not listening to ourselves talk all the time um, but in any event just go to cpgguys.com and make sure to follow us at least on linkedin And thanks to everyone who is already doing that because we've built a really powerful community and we want everybody listening to this podcast to be able to experience the community as best as possible. Wes, thanks for taking the time to come on today, particularly on a long weekend when you're unpacking, getting settled in your new Boston residence, uh, to come on the podcast and tell us about your journey. We really appreciate that.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's it's an absolute honor as you guys have continued to take off uh and are now everywhere on my feed i'm so excited to be a part of that now
2: yeah and i know we we we've got uh we gave you a cpg guys t-shirt during my last visit to chicago hopefully uh, hopefully that makes the rotation too but uh we're we're glad and uh, i figure after all the bling you're giving me the least i can do is give you give you some the other direction
3: I think my fiance is sick of me only wearing shirts that have logos on them at this point. But thank you for yet another.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Hey, Sri, uh, this is a great episode. What were some of your big takeaways?
1: You know, Wes, first of all, I want to thank you for having joined us. And we've now coined the term Fetch religion." How about that, Peter? I'm good with that. I love that. So, you know, you're going to hear that a lot in the industry. You know, if you guys heard Peter earlier in the show, he's part of the fetch team as well. He's recently joined them. Has it been about six weeks, Peter? Yeah, about that. So I want to congratulate you as well, Peter, for joining the fetch team. Wes, you're lucky to have my podcast partner as part of the team. So, uh, Uh, make the most of it, both of you. Wes, for me, the biggest things that really resonated was consumer loyalty and how close it's getting to brands in terms of just everything from innovation to retail and the future of consumer loyalty. Hearing your partnership with retail directly with Albertsons, I think, is a uh, watch out for the industry in terms of where a wedge is going and the fascinating story of how a kid while entering college, while going through a routine, everyday life moment, gave birth to a company that just raised, did you say upfront, Peter, 200 million in investments via a series round? I think that should be an inspiration for listeners listening to the show. Those of you, no matter what your age and what generation you come from, Wes's story tells us if you want to do it and you chase it, you can definitely do it. So thank you for providing that inspiration for our audience as well. Peter, as always a pleasure, man.
2: Yeah, love doing this with you, Sri.
1: Not an episode goes by where I don't learn something.
2: I know. Knowledge is good. Where does that from? I think that was from Animal House. Another very dated reference showing how old we are, Sri. In any event, um, to our audience, thanks for joining us.
1: Peter, 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 stop man. It's called experience and wisdom, not old.
3: And don't worry, Shree. That one I don't have to go Google. I do know what Animal House is.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Any, in any event, thanks, uh, thanks, West, thanks, Shree, and to our audience. We appreciate you joining us on this special episode, and we look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye.